Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Everybody's awake. Some some of us haven't had our coffee yet, but we're doing okay. I'm going to start off with just a few announcements, uh, regular stuff that you guys might already know. Hey, guys. (laughs) Um, But we do this every Sunday morning, so if you're tuning in on live stream on YouTube or somewhere else... um, We'd like to welcome you back next time. And then on Wednesday nights, Sam and a guest, uh, they do take two right here in this building on the stage. You're also welcome to join us in person now. uh, And you can also find that on YouTube as well. And that's kind of a, what's that? Potluck Friday Friday at the Clinger's house. What else would you like like people, what time is it? Five or six. Five or six o'clock, it's loosey-goosey, but we want to know who's coming and we want to know uh, what food is going on, right? So, yeah. Uh, we'll get that posted on social media today, too. So if you're interested in potluck, some good fellowships, some hanging out, some... Uh, ben is always a good time. So. Hey. There's a sign-up uh, paper if you're here in person. Sign up here. If not, let us know on social media, Facebook or Insta. Um, other than that, you're stuck with me this morning because Sam is not here. Sam is... Sam is well and good and uh, taking a, a much-needed day off with his family. So, uh, Sam, if you're tuning in, we wish you well and hope you have a good time in cooler weather somewhere. <laughs> San, Diego. San Diego. And happy 4th of July, everybody. Yeah. Happy 4th. It's a good day. Um, let's see. Well, I, I had some technical difficulties this morning. So in my hand, I have... Three different sermons. One of them is about five minutes long. That one's a $100 sermon. One of them is about 15 minutes long. That's a $50 sermon. And one is a whole hour, and that's only $20. So now we're going to take the collection. I'm just kidding. But there are several ways to give. You can find out those ways of giving on our website, thegenesisstory.com. Or if you're here in person, there's a big bucket in the back. Feel free, feel free to give. You do support this ministry and all that takes place through Genesis. So I was thinking about uh, when Sam asked me to, uh, to be here this morning with you all this way. I was thinking about how I've been part of Genesis for uh, just over five years. Five years. And I know some of you have been here much longer than that. But... Um, in those five years, we've gotten to know each other a little bit, 
And probably if you ever watch Take Twos where I'm sitting in a cinema, you, you've learned a little bit more about me. But, um, you know, we get to know each other just on Sundays probably. Some of us have hung out other than that. But um, hopefully you haven't just learned about me from social media because you, you might think I'm crazy. Uh, I wanted to share a little bit about who I am today and then get into uh, a scripture that tells you where I'm at today. So I have been in Christian ministry for almost 25 years. I have been, in those 25 years, a worship leader, a home group leader, a youth pastor, an assistant pastor, a church planner, a lead pastor. Um, And I spent one year as a house parent of a group home down in Temecula. That was also a a Christian-based group home. I studied very hard. I went to Bible college, but more than that, I studied hard. I studied a lot. I read a lot. I was in the scriptures all the time. Um, I had an airtight reading regiment. I had a library of reference books, a whole host of devotional books, um, every systematic theology book you could think of. At some point, I'm pretty sure books were a big idol for me because I was not intentionally doing this, but I had such a thirst and such a hunger for knowledge of God that I would read everything I could about him. And um, at some point, reading those types of books, you realize that maybe you don't know. I realized that I didn't have maybe the necessary intellectual fortitude (laughs) to keep going, because every time I'd read a new book, I would realize that part of what this person was saying had convinced me of negated three other books I had already read. (laughs) So you find out at a very high level that theologians and pastors don't agree with each other very often (laughs) on, on the finer points. And so you start going, man, if these guys who I'm studying from differ, what am I supposed to do with that information? And so at some point, and, and during that whole uh, time of my life, I, you know, I, uh, I blew a gasket. <laughs> but with that chunk of knowledge that I had, I could have a good, hearty, deep conversation with pastors and academics. Um, one of my Bible college professors became a mentor. And, um, you know, theology, anthropology, eschatology, ecclesiology, a whole bunch of other ologies, a whole bunch of doctrines. I struggled to, but had some understanding of them. I had what I thought was a pretty airtight theology, a box, where all the questions that people had as I was in ministry, I, I had an answer for them. I had an answer for my own questions, and the answers that I had in my box of answers, they all supported each other. It was a pretty tight system. It was a systematic theology. And with that little chunk of knowledge that I had, that I had worked so hard for, I also grew a little bit of an ego, which is weird. 
Because the very God that you're studying is the God of humility. But at some point, knowledge puffs up. And pride comes before the fall. So I went through a series of unfortunate events in my life um, uh, several years ago before I came here, which kind of led to me coming here, as a matter of fact. But um, I had lost a job. So this isn't the first time I've been through job loss. <laughs> lost a job. My family had to downsize. My boys had to share a room when they weren't used to that. And um, because I was tight on money, I had an offer to go on tour with a, a music artist as a supporting guitar player. And it paid pretty decent, so I took that three-week gig. And it only took three weeks for God to kind of show me what a fool I had been. It took about three weeks. Probably took a little more than that because I think I came home from that tour and had to really... Uh, assess what God had been saying and showing me. And that moment in my life, you guys, do you remember the movie Jaws? <laughs> my son might not. Everybody else in here is old enough to remember. But Jaws, you know, there's a, the famous scene where uh, Captain Brody is chumming the water and they had not yet seen the shark. And he... He's chumming the water, and he gets a glimpse of the size of Jaws, right? The shark. And he gets up, and he kind of staggers over to the cabin of the boat. And uh, I forget, the Quint? Is that the guy? Anyways, the guy's sitting there. He's preparing for, you know, they're going on this shark expedition. And Brody walks in, like, kind of like he'd seen a ghost, and he says the, fam the famous line, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> well, I had that moment with God. <laughs> where my tight, you know, airtight box of theology that I thought I had figured out, you know, I realized that that little box was like, you know, this much the size of God. <laughs> and he was much bigger than I anticipated. And he was doing much more than I even gave him credit for. And as much as I loved him, I only knew this much about him. Now, that's not to say that you know, we don't, you know, what we understand. Uh, I, I think about this in, in terms of relationships. And um, uh, I think I was talking to you about this a while ago, where, you know, at some, at some level in our lives, uh, if you're a man and you've asked a woman to marry you or you've asked a girl on a date or whatever, you are not saying that, you know what, I know everything about you and, and I love you and therefore I'd like to spend my time or my life with you. You're saying, I know a little bit about you, and I'm really intrigued, and I want to know all of you. And if it takes the rest of my life to do that, I will. Same with God, right? We, we might only see a little box. And if something in that little box sparks this desire to know more, to love, to love more, to be more with that person, spend more time with that person, whatever it might be, in my life... I was trying to find answers. I was trying to be the go-to guy for whoever needed an answer. And at some point I realized that three-week tour, and, and why and whatever happened on that tour, I'll tell you another time. <laughs> um, but 
in that time, I just, I got a glimpse of God that was way, way, way bigger. And I thought to myself, I'm going to need a bigger box. (laughs) So now that I've told you this, I basically just admitted to you that I don't really know what I thought I knew. And you're probably wondering, well, then why are you standing up there? <laughs> uh, let's turn to the Bible. We'll keep it simple today. We'll, we'll keep it, you know, I'll give you guys the $100 sermon for free. Um, but turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I still say turn with me, but most of y'all just flip your phones on. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Simple, right? Love one another. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you so much that your word is so simple and yet so deep that your word exists on the surface but the fathom, the depths of it we cannot even fathom. So we thank you and we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would help us to uh, do away with knowledge that puffs and brings pride, but give us knowledge that leads us closer to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When I'm uh, reading from a book of the Bible, I like to take a step back and, and you know, there's things you want to know who the author is, obviously. In this case, it's John. Sometimes, sometimes books are named after the author and sometimes they're named after the recipient. Um, um, you want to know who he's writing to. Is he writing to unbelievers? Is he writing to, to Jewish folks? Is he writing to other Christians? You want to know the major themes because sometimes we get lost in, in a verse that we might take out of context because it's not really the, the point he's trying to make, but he says one little thing in the middle of it, and then we get, all, we get all like, oh my gosh, does he mean this or does he mean that? Well, if we know the theme of the book, or if there's several themes, then we can kind of see what's happening. And John, in this book, you might, even what we read, you might remember that, it, or it might bring some flashes from the... Gospel of John, because he's kind of repeating himself. 
Um, but he does a lot of contrasting in this book. So he, themes are like light and dark. God is light. If you walk in darkness, you're not in the light. Uh, um, he, does, uh, he contrasts in uh, truth and lies. He keeps coming back to these things, knowing God, abiding or walking in, with God, and loving like God. So here he starts off this sentence, which he does a lot in this book. If you remember back in, uh, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, he often refers to himself as the beloved, right? It's like he, he thought legit, I'm, I'm the beloved, I'm the favorite. And here he's addressing us as the beloved. Beloved, his favorite term of endearment, I think. Let us love one another. And you guys know... <clears throat> Uh, just by way of reminder, we'll go through this real quick. Uh, in the English language, we have the word love. It means love. Um, but if you've learned, if you have other languages, if you've learned another language or you, you spoke another language, you know that there are sometimes words that don't fit neatly into English, but you do the best you can, right? So that's kind of what's happening here. In the Greek, which is what... John would have spoken. There are at least four different words for love. There is phileo, eros, agape, and storage. Really quickly, phileo means is like this kind of uh, companion type of love, uh, friendship, trust. Those are kinds of the, the words associated with phileo. Eros is kind of that, um, I mean, this is the root word for erotic. This is romantic love. Uh, storage is a bond of familiarity. So like people in your family, you love them, even though you might not agree with them on anything or maybe even like them that much. <laughs> but they're still family and you still love them. The word that John always uses, at least in everything, every... Uh, uh, everything that I read this week from First John four, John four, First John four, is the word agape. This is the highest form of love. It is altruistic love, where you unselfishly care for the well-being of others. You love them even though you have no romantic feelings for them. You might not have anything in common with them. And you receive nothing from the relationship. Agape is loving a person even though you may receive negativity or hate from them, but still giving of yourself. So, beloved, let us agape one another, he says. Let us love one another with an unselfish, sacrificing love, even if it doesn't do anything for me in return. I'm to love you sacrificially and with all of me. It makes me wonder when I read that and, and the gravity of that hits me pretty hard because I think to my thought, like, who do I agape? <laughs> who do I love like that? 
my kids, my spouse. I come close. <laughs> but even in those relationships, I expect some reciprocity. Who do I really agape? Who do you really agape? It's a hard one. Agape is not for the weak-hearted. And this is why uh, Sam mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I think, where he was talking about the, what we've traditionally called the restoration of Peter. So after the resurrection, and Jesus meets Peter, and they're having breakfast together, and Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter can't say yes. He says, Lord, I phileo you. Jesus is saying, do you love me enough to sacrifice? And Peter's saying, I trust you. You're my friend. But I can't go farther than that. And that's honest. And I, and I feel like that is probably a pretty honest thing that we could all say to each other. But John is calling us to a higher love. And not only is he calling us to it, he's, he's telling us that if we say we know God, but we're not agapeing one another, we only know this little box. And there's so much more. Agape is no joke. Most people uh, do not love anybody that hard. But John is saying we should love one another this way. And this is where I find myself today. If someone were to ask you, who is Jesus? How would you answer that? <clears throat> we probably would retort to you know, some prehistorical things. Um, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Um, he is the God-man who came down from heaven to earth to save us. Uh, and none of those things are wrong, but we probably would retort something of that nature, where it's, it's uh, almost out of the little box, the stuff that we learned way, way at the beginning of our relationship with God. But this word also that John uses for the word no is a whole other level. Again, there's no English equivalent for this word no. So who is Jesus to you? Today, who is Jesus to you today? Because whatever our answer is, I would hope that we would find a way that is deeper than book knowledge or deeper than just knowing about something or deeper than the little square box of theology. Because Knowing to John is a whole other. So, so now let me say this uh, this word in the Greek. You might have heard it before because this is a fun one to say. It's gnosko. 
Gnosko. Gnosko is the same word that Mary used when the angel told her that she would be with child. And she said, how can this be since I do not Gnosko man? Intimate. Intimate knowledge. Where it's used in the scriptures, it's referring to experiential knowledge. It's not just book knowledge. It's not just I study, 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 and now I have all this, I have all these answers. No, no, no. It's I experienced God. I experienced Jesus in a very intimate way. And this is why when people talk about having a relationship with God, I think I think that becomes confusing because, because having a relationship with someone who you can't see is really hard. But if you change the word having a relationship to having intimate, experiential knowledge, I think at least for me, I understand that. I can grasp that a little easier. And that is what John is saying. I don't mean do you know him like you've read about him. <clears throat> I don't mean you know, do you know him like you've, you know, you follow a blog or something like that. He's saying, have you experienced Christ? Have you had intimacy with God? So let's read verse 7 one more time. Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us agape one another. For love is from God. Agape is from God. And whoever agapes has been born of God and gnosko has deep, intimate, experiential knowledge of God. And then the negative in verse 8, anyone who does not agape does not gnosko God because God is agape. So, I mean, this is deep stuff. When I, when I read this, and I go, man, I, I live at the sur- surface level so often and, and uh, I go through the motions so often that when I read something like this and I know that it's calling me to something more. It's calling me to dig down and ask myself, do I really love my neighbor like this? Do I even love myself like this? Do I love you guys like this? And if I don't, what does that mean about my relationship, my experience with God? How well do I know him? How well do you know him? Intimately, experientially? Gnosko? Let's say you're going on a Hawaiian vacation. And it's to an island you've never been to before. So you spend some time and you're researching, you know, the best places to go, the best hotels in the area. You're looking at maybe some food spots that you're going to hit up while you're there, some scuba diving, whatever it is. You're making plans. You're doing, checking it all out on the internet because this is what you do in our day and age, at least, to plan a vacation. And you've 
got a whole itinerary of stuff you're going to do. But have you experienced it? Not yet, right? You've only researched it. You've only read about it. You've read reviews. You know what other people say about it. But until you get off the plane, check into your hotel, and go snorkeling, you haven't really experienced Hawaii. And even when you do experience Hawaii, you're only experiencing one little area on one island out of four. You see, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Have you experienced Hawaii before you get there? No. You've learned about it. John is saying, if you are loving hard, if you are not loving hard, excuse me, if you're not loving hard, how can you say you gnosko God? You've experienced God. After all, God is agape. I know that, you know, we're like, yeah, John, though, this is John. He walked with Jesus. He's going to make it sound easy because he's, he's really experienced Jesus. It's like John is saying, bruh, do you even lift? How can you say you've snorkeled? But it's not easy. It's easy for me to stand here and look at you guys in this building, and I don't know who's watching it on the internet, but these, these faces that are before me and familiar, I can say I love you guys. And I can say we're at least like family, and some of us are good friends. But agape? I have work to do. Sometimes I think that where we've gotten this all wrong is that uh, I, I'll speak for myself and you guys tell me is this, is this your experience or not I uh, as a young Christian <clears throat> as a new Christian I had so many questions and I would ask people um, a lot of times people who didn't have answers for me and I think this is why it became important for me eventually to have answers or to have at least tried to think through all the facets of why somebody would not put faith in Christ. And so I read, you know, uh, those types of books too, apologetics books, and uh, books like The Case for Christ or The Case for Faith or Evidence That Demands a Verdict, those types of things where with the best intentions these authors tried to help us win arguments for God's sake. Which in hindsight is a little silly to me. Sorry, maybe you love those books. I don't mean to disparage. But in my estimate, it's kind of like these books were like how not to look like a moron when talking to (laughs) non-Christians. But what if... What if God is more like a love poem than a book of facts? What if God is more like a song than history? What if God is more like a symphony that that moves and sways and touches you without lyrics or anything, makes you cry for reasons you can't even tell? What if he is more like that than 
reading a book. What if we could see Jesus with new eyes and realize that he agapes us? That he loves us so hard. And what he really wants is for us to live out of this value that he's poured into us so that we, we too can live lives of agape. And we get to do that. We get to do that. If we just see him. If you've ever had kids um, or been around small children, then you know about the power struggle that ensues over poopy diapers. Do you know what I'm talking about? He goes like this. Well, I changed the last one, which is basically saying, this one's all you. <laughs> but you know what agape looks like? It says, I've got it. Not because I have to, because I get to. I'll change the poopy diaper. Not because there's anything in it for me, God knows. <laughs> but because I agape you. I'll do it. And I get to do it. If we can change the way we think about loving one another, then I think what John is saying is we can start to see the life of Christ come alive in ourselves. It's not that you have to. It's that you get to. You get to change the poop. <laughs> you get to be there for the one that is hurting. You get to deliver a meal to a shut-in. You get to pull over and help that guy push his car to the gas station. You get to cook dinner for your neighbor. You get to be the one to listen to the lonely friend that you have, even if you've already heard the story five gajillion times. You get to visit prisoners. You get to hold the hand of the elderly man in the convalescent home, the one that says you look like his daughter. You get to find solutions to the problems of homelessness and fatherlessness and racism. You get to hear the confessions of the addict at whatever time of night she needs to talk. You get to agape people. Not because you have to, but because God is agape. And God agapes you and me. One of my favorite verses, I don't know if, are you supposed to have favorite verses? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Galatians 6 2, where it says, um, very simply, Paul writes, Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Agape. And so fulfill the law of Christ. 
there's no mistake, John is making this as simple as can be, but it, is still, but it still calls for hard look inside. It still calls us to the hard work of self-sacrifice. Selfless, sacrificial convictions to show the watching world that this, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Change the poopy diaper. Change the way we see Jesus. Change the world. Friends, I pray that uh, you'll experience Jesus and me too in an experiential way with new eyes in a very intimate way that we would come to know him and that we would come to see each other with agape and not just each other, but the world around us. That we would, whatever the poopy diaper looks like in your life, that we would look at it and say, you know what, I get to do that. I get to. Because God first loved me. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Father, so, so many of us, Lord, um, read these scriptures so many times, and I, and I thank you for the times that we get fresh insight and dig a little deeper, and I pray, Father, that you would help us on our venture to know you more deeply, to see you more clearly, and to, with open arms, embrace all that we can of who you are. And we ask that you would change us in the process. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.